This is the Front Page Podcast from the Red and Black. I'm your co-host and podcast editor, Jim Bass. In this episode, I sit down with opinion editor Carson Barrett and enterprise editor Lucinda Warnke to discuss a recent opinion article from Carson regarding the term woke and how it has been used against college students. Carson goes in-depth with Lucinda about the topic and the controversies and context surrounding it. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. The term woke has seen a major spike in political rhetoric over the course of the past decade. The term has been used to describe more progressive types of opinions and has often been associated with college students. The term came about during a growing political divide between liberals and conservatives and in many ways fits a wedge between the relationship of the older generations to the younger generations. Opinion editor Carson Barrett recently wrote an opinion article on the subject for Red and Black titled, College Students Are Not Woke, Just Tired. It goes into Carson's thoughts on the, on the word being used as a term to describe college students and the education system as a whole. Carson and Enterprise editor Lucinda Warnke both sit down to discuss the term woke and the, the issues that they have been seeing with the negative attitude that has been placed around the education system and politics. Welcome to the show, Carson. Uh, first off, uh, what is your position here? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Carson Barrett. I'm the opinion editor here at The Red and Black. Very cool. And uh, what brings you down to the studio today? What, do you, what would you like to discuss here? Yeah, so today I'll be talking about my article about wokeness and just how it's used against college students as like a way to dehumanize and then also gain political support. Um, and the implications of that can be kind of dangerous. Yes. Um, and I guess before you get into like the, the, the meat of the article, what inspired you to write this article and how long have you been how long did you spend on this article before it was published? Yeah, I have had a pretty difficult semester this year. And so it was weighing like the idea behind the article had been weighing on my mind for a while just because I have I've seen woke be used for a while now, for like I guess like two or three years. Um, but this semester has really like been difficult and so then to just constantly also hear online that I'm a crazy activist woke college kid is also pretty irritating. Yeah, and do you see this from like like people your age or just like of older people in general or who where are you seeing this mainly on just like online? Yeah, mainly online it's from people on the right wing. Um, and so conservatives use it as like a dog whistle for like a lot of different issues. Um, but yeah, mainly from them. And I guess, honestly, I've seen both young and old people use it. Just I think it more depends on your politics. And there, I guess there have been some people trying to reclaim the word and push that woke is like a good thing. But I just think generally it's used as a negative pejorative yeah and well being the editor uh, being the opinion editor here i'm sure you've received a lot of flack for your opinions but in the past did you receive any like any like you know negative comments regarding this this post um i'm pretty sure i haven't actually checked the comments but i didn't actually receive any like direct comment personally on it at all like sometimes I do get an email or two about a certain article and I didn't get any feedback on this one gotcha so just overall just like a neutral neutral release yeah I guess or I'll I'll have to check the Facebook maybe I got some good ones there 
Yeah, I gotcha. So I guess for like, I guess next, I kind of want to have you discuss this topic further in the meat of the article. You kind of summarized it earlier, but maybe like give a good summary on on like the term woke and what it means and stuff. Yeah, so um, woke is mainly used by the right wing to target things like diversity, equity, and inclusion measures, which are basically just like. For like an example of that would be like a hiring practice where we're using more of like a holistic review, also taking into account race, gender, and whatnot when making those decisions. And it's also used against actual people and celebrities. Um, I've seen it recently be used against a lot of trans people like Dylan Mulvaney and basically just anything that advocates for anything slightly progressive or for social justice but that blanket statement is also just tossed I feel like at college students and that doesn't take into account that college students first of all like while yes college students normally are more political than the average person I don't think you could accurately say that all college students are liberal or progressive yeah I I mean I completely understand I do think it is a term that's like thrown around a lot more than it should be, obviously. Um, I don't really think... It's a, it shouldn't be used as a really blanket term, I guess. I don't know, but it does not... I completely agree with what you're saying and what the article says as well. Um, I also want to toss toss this over to um, our enterprise editor, Lucinda, um, to discuss more in further detail um, as they are currently writing a story that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this, and I think you guys would have a great discussion, so um, I'm going to toss it over to uh, Lou. Hi there. My name is Lucinda Wernke. I'm the enterprise editor here at The Red and Black. Um, I'm also an English major and very passionate about education topics and um, how they intersect with political discourse. That's awesome. Welcome to the podcast, Lou. Yes. So as me and Jim were kind of talking about, do you, would you even describe college students as woke? Um, not really. I mean, um, so kind of why I'm here is I'm also working on a similar piece about kind of the uh, intersection between um, sort of this rhetoric around like wokeness and uh, how it intersects with um, broader issues about anti-intellectualism and populism in American culture. And not really. I mean, because honestly, you know, the unfortunate truth is, is that there kind of is a long history of sort of politicians positioning educational institutions, um, people who are educated, uh, professors, university administrators, as sort of against the American people. Um, You know, kind of going back to like what I was saying about populism is uh, some people describe it as an ideology, although others kind of describe it as what I more accurately think it is, which is more of like a political style of rhetoric that basically emphasizes this idea of like um, a working man, a common man, um, you know, who's usually... Um, somebody who didn't attend higher education, who may be, uh, you know, things like farmers, mechanics, uh, that kind of thing, factory workers. Um, and it oftentimes kind of tends to position them in direct opposition to sort of an educated political elite. Um, so think like your university professors, researchers, politicians, experts, lawyers, that sort of thing, and tends to adopt a very us versus them mentality. And I think that's kind of a lot of what's going on here is that um, it's kind of less about that there is some danger to the American people um, in higher education and more so about kind of attacking education and critical thinking and really questioning um, status quo through uh, 
education, but also, you know, more more broadly, just political discourse and writing and thought and weaponizing that to sort of advance a political agenda and make money in a lot of situations. Yeah, definitely. Definitely we see not only woke be used against people politically, but lots of other terms and just like general, you know, anti-intellectualism. It is kind of weird because it's the us versus them mentality. So you'd think that'd be dividing us more and more. And, you know, if politics is about growing your own support and bringing people together, it does make you wonder, why is this actually even happening? Yeah, great question. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I think like, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like, I think it's kind of just a continuation of past trends because we see this like, you know, it, it wasn't called woke back then, but like a really pretty famous and early example of kind of this us versus them anti-intellectual populist mentality is uh, when Andrew Jackson was running for president against uh, John Quincy Adams uh, in the 1820s. John Quincy Adams was very educated. He was a Harvard graduate, a member of Phi Beta Kappa, the very prestigious honor society. And um, he also, his family had been, um, you know, among the founding fathers and had been very influential in American society up until that point. And Jackson, uh, he had fought, he was a war veteran, um, and he had also been raised in a log cabin. And he very much represented himself as, I am the sort of everyman who is fighting for you against the sort of um, political elites and, you know, these sort of pointy-headed scholars who think that they're better than the common people, like John Quincy Adams. But I think what's, like, really important to note here is that um, you know, there is a lot of really valid criticism of the American education system in terms of its lack of inclusivity in its curriculums, um, its inaccessibility to many people due to its cost, due to the difficulty of getting into a lot of large four-year universities. But I think, like, a really important point here that kind of ties into this wokeism thing is about, you know, when Andrew Jackson kind of was pushing for this whole common man, he was very much pushing for white men. Um, you know, there was, it was not about, um, you know, there was no mention of like women's involvement in politics, no push for them to be more involved. There was not, this was not tied to deeper uh, pushes for like people of color um, to be more involved in the political and educational uh, institutions in American society. It was very much advocating for white men and, you know, was actually weaponized against people of color and women. Um, the Trail of Tears, the uh, Indian Removal Act was largely motivated, you know, which he pushed through, was largely motivated by um, this idea of I'm advocating for white um, kind of common people um, who would like to farm and mine on land in Georgia that is currently occupied by the Cherokee uh, tribe. And, um, you know, similarly today, we kind of see that this um, sort of crusade that's been led by uh, many conservative politicians, um, you know, including Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, Brian Kemp here in Georgia with the Uh, recently passed divisive concepts law um you know kind of the common man that it you know says these elites are against educated elites it's white people you know the divisive concepts law is very much a reaction to um the 1619 project and to greater calls for more black history and curriculums and similarly you know i mean we see um ron desantis his sort of uh movement very much aligning itself with his hillsdale college a conservative liberal arts college in southern Michigan that kind of advocates for this very, uh, you know, kind of what they call like kind of Western classical education, which very much centers on white European perspectives. 
and um, you know many scholars have described it as uh, incomplete. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we definitely do still see that attacks used against those certain protected communities or those minority groups still are being continued on today as a way to politically motivate white people or and white men against those groups right like the banning of the books that what books are we banning it's you know the life of rosa parks we just saw that last week in florida and we're seeing here in georgia attacks going going after transgender youth banning them from receiving hormone replacement therapy um, even though it's medically deemed medically necessary by all uh, respectable medical associations um, but still being passed under the guise of protecting children and protecting this kind of like traditional society that is just exclusive rather than inclusive. I definitely think though the effects hurt more than just those different communities, right? In Georgia, we're seeing the um, university system budget be cut by $105 million. And I feel like a lot of that just has to do with a general disrespect and general like undervaluing of education um, and also Governor Kemp wanting to keep education under his control so that he can make sure that the social justice and progressive aspects are kept to a minimum and we are more focusing on job training and like those parts that deem college necessary in higher education Um, right because he just also blocked a similar bill which would have given the Georgia State Legislature more control over tuition raises on students. And, you know, when college is already as expensive as it already is, you know, that makes it even less accessible for so many people, Um, especially those who come from backgrounds that don't have all the money in the world and are really just passionate about whatever they're studying. And is that really fair to block them from being able to get their education? No, you're like so right with all of those things. And I think that what is really interesting is, um, you know, kind of due to various budget cuts as well as uh, the way the state legislature, you know, is kind of approaching education. I mean, just like this fall, I believe it was a pretty big group of uh, degree programs were cut from various colleges And many of them were maybe more like liberal arts, soft skill kind of oriented majors. I'm like totally borrowing this language from a New Yorker article on this subject called The End of the English Major. Basically, hard skill degrees, kind of ones that, um, you know, maybe think like accounting, business things, kind of things that are very much uh, career oriented as opposed to maybe sort of soft skill degrees that might look like philosophy, English even, you know, biology and physics, which, you know, usually, um, you know, it can be very theoretical and um, abstract. And um, kind of with those cuts came a lot of cuts to sort of soft skill liberal arts uh, majors and degree programs. And, um, you know, within like USG's, uh, they outlined their goal to, quote, drive the growth of our state's knowledge-based economy and entrepreneurial ecosystem. There's very much, you know, not just in Georgia, but in many parts of this country, this emphasis on like education as a pipeline to jobs. And, you know, I think that that's kind of increased after the whole, you know, college is becoming more expensive 
And um, research has shown, you know, especially following the 2008 recession, there was a really big rise in anxiety about parents sending their kids to college, um, about getting jobs after they graduate. And I think, unfortunately, for many Americans, um, it's maybe easier to see kind of the direct link between like a career and a degree uh, with something like maybe, you know, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, like accounting, then maybe something um, like physics or philosophy that doesn't directly share the title with a career. But, you know, I mean, we miss out a lot of soft skills when we do that. I mean, communication, empathy, critical thinking, the ability to draw connections between abstract concepts are really essential both in, um, you know, careers that ask for a college degree as well as just the general functioning of a democracy. I mean, we, in order for people to vote and make good decisions, they need those skills to evaluate rhetoric and to look at candidates and policy and think about how it will affect themselves and their community. And those people are much, when we don't, when we don't fund our colleges and schools properly, when we really adopt the stance on education that, you know, it's bad to be deeply educated, that the purpose of colleges primarily as just um, hard skill job training, we lose a lot of those skills. And in turn, we have a less educated populace and a populace that is less prepared to think through and combat misinformation and um, dangerous political rhetoric. Yeah, I definitely think another thing to know about losing those degree programs that are less um, job focused and more, I guess you could say passion focused, (laughs) or I think another thing to note about those is that um, you also lose out on a lot of research and necessary research with those deg- um, programs. Like with physics, obviously, you know, understanding a certain physical property or a certain physical idea might not in itself be profitable or be able to make money in like a capitalist society, but it definitely can be used, that research can be used to guide those solutions and to make sure those solutions are actually, you know, reasoned in fact and logic. Um, and still, you can even go over to the humanities with this as well. Like, English, while, you know, on itself, no, can't just be, you know, you can't profit a whole lot with just knowing the English language. But, you know, understanding, you know, English has so much history to it, understanding how that language has changed so much and, and why it has changed, that shows you so much about how people operate and how, you know, people interact. And by understanding that, that should guide our decisions and how we interact with people today and different ways that we're interacting with other countries and similar things that we've just seen in the past. Um, And so I think that noting how important that research is is definitely still important as well. And that goes into democracy as well, I think. You know, having an educated... Having a democracy, it's necessary for voters to be educated on who they're voting for, what they're voting for, um, understanding, you know, what this law is actually going to do, you know, because it is so easy to write it to sound a certain way and to write that this is like a scary thing and we're banning this and whatever, because it is so easy to write a certain thing a certain way and to change your rhetoric. And so that to me is what always my English classes have always been focused on is understanding how rhetoric is used and how certain forms of propaganda can be used to manipulate you and to get your mind to think a certain way when really, you know, we should look at things objectively and independently. Yeah. And I mean, I think also, you know, with this whole idea of 
wokeness and certain certain areas of study in academic subjects and ideas are dangerous i mean that makes us weaker as a society i mean we do really operate in a marketplace of ideas and it's not good for us to decide that you know some things because they discuss diversity or things that make us uncomfortable they're now dangerous and you know especially because many of these topics focus on groups that have been historically marginalized including lgbt people women people of color um you know working class people um i think that to label kind of areas of study that really focus on amplifying their voices and bringing their voices to the forefront and kind of putting them on the same footing as like you know the voices of uh, wealthier white men have historically been placed on is something that's just it kind of just makes us all dumber you know i mean it's kind of where makes our movement towards an idiocracy as opposed to a democracy faster and that's not good for anybody yeah and the marketplace of ideas and that idea is you know free speech in and of itself has always been a calling card of the right that's why i think it's so ironic that at the same time they're pushing for these bans on books and these bans on just free expression is very hypocritical no you're so right and just like the whole movement itself feels very hypocritical because while Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Brian Kemp are pushing this whole idea of like universities are like kind of these liberal factories that are against the working men and I'm here I'm a champion for the people and I'm going to fight for the common man I mean Ron DeSantis went to Yale Brian Kemp graduated from this very university and then Greg Abbott went to the University of Texas at Austin and has a law degree from Vanderbilt they are all very educated men who, while railing against the higher education system and about how bad it is and anti-American it is and, you know, how it's against the, the common man, you know, I mean, they, who they claim are the kind of the champions for these common people, came from these universities. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of the pulling the ladder after you've used it because, you know, back then college was also a lot more affordable than it is today. You know, you hear talk of like a hundred or like just like a thousand dollar tuition, which is insane today. But, you know, that's college was affordable back then. Everyone, you know, the common man was able to go. And so instead of, you know, keeping college inaccessible and only for this certain class of people, we actually are trying to ensure that more people are able to go to college and helping people access that. And that very idea is actually what I think the right's trying to attack um, to ensure that, you know, those, the, you know, if you do, if you are going to college and getting a, one of the golden degrees that make you a lot of money, you know, it is, you know, trying to keep that for a certain class of people, I think. No, you're so right. I, my favorite, well, not my favorite, more like my least favorite quote. <laughs> Of all time is from the speech uh, Ronald Reagan gave, I believe, while he was still governor of California. Uh, for context, um, the University of California systems used to be tuition free. Um, they were pretty accessible to everyone. Um, but um, kind of due to education cuts around the time that Ronald Reagan entered politics in California, kind of rose to power, they started increasing their tuition and became very expensive, more expensive. And uh, there's a speech where Ronald Reagan, like, says, like, um, you know, it's not the government's job to uh, subsidize intellectual curiosity. And I think that that's so much of what this is, is that this idea that, you know, the government shouldn't fund education and that funding smart people, you know, people becoming more educated and more 
aware is bad and that, um, you know, okay, yeah, sure, go get educated. But you better have like a solid plan to get a job and do something with it afterward. Like you shouldn't be educated just because like you want to improve yourself or you want to become more aware or because you think learning is good. You know, that that's silly. That's all, you know, sissy stuff that the government shouldn't fund. Yeah. And my follow up question to that would be, you know, then who is supposed to, you know, fund intellectual curiosity and debate? You know, who is supposed to help ignite that and push that forward if it isn't happening? Because, you know, if that isn't happening, then what are we doing? You know, what what even is the point of it? You know, if we aren't, you know, trying to, you know, think and actually become better as a society and actually, you know, seek to understand phenomenon that we've never understood before? Or should we just go into the dark ages of military technology and fighting one another and now the military technology has the capabilities to destroy the entire world. So that's a future that I would not be a fan of. No, and that's exactly it. Is like, I mean, in so many ways, intellectual curiosity has what's is been what's driven us forward, not just as a country, but like as a species. I mean, like, come on, let's be honest. Like humans physically compared to other animal you know, creatures in the natural world, we're not all that great i mean what has really powered us has been our minds and that is in so many ways our greatest asset and i mean um if you look at america i mean like we didn't get to the moon because like we only funded education you know if you could draw a direct line to a job afterward right i mean that was a lot of people who were really deeply curious and really wanted to go to space and go to the moon for the sake of learning and expanding our minds you know, there was no practical purpose. There was nothing profitable about that. It was completely for intellectual curiosity. And in so many ways, I mean, that's how we advance is through curiosity. And if we as a society are going to remain strong, both as a democracy and both as, you know, a world leader and a leader in science and technology, we have to stay curious and we have to be willing to fund curiosity and to openly embrace uh, academics and learning even when that may be kind of uncomfortable or difficult, like, you know, with examining critical race theory um, and studying, you know, disparities between people of different races or gender identities or sexualities or class distinctions. Yes, it's definitely not always going to be pretty. Um, That's always been the thing is history is not always pretty, but, you know, you have to always remember it and acknowledge it or it, it might happen again. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing here, you know, history repeat itself once again. And I think college students are at the forefront of it, and we shouldn't let our voices be silenced. No, and I mean, like, you know, unfortunately in the United States right now, we are seeing a rise in misinformation and with it, you know, kind of authoritarian ideals, uh, fascist and populist ideals, um, things that are very threatening to, like, the foundations of what our country is. And I think that our greatest weapon against that, you know, as young people is going to be, you know, thinking critically and having empathy and learning and expanding our minds and being able to look at this rhetoric and call it out for what it is. But we can't do that unless we are really funding our own curiosity and really devoting the time and the money and the commitment to furthering our minds and um, learning to see through this stuff. Well, thank you guys for discussing this topic. I know it's a tough one, so thank you guys for coming on the show, Carson Lou. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was a great discussion, and um, I'm really glad that you selected us to be on the show. Thanks again. 
This has been The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. Make sure to download our app and keep up with us on social media. Don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast, Between the Headphones, a UGA Sports podcast. We hope to see you next week.